0: Good morning, church. Good group today and on a three-day weekend, too. I am impressed. Good to have you who are live streaming with us this morning. Hey, I want to start off with our scripture today, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they are really vicious wolves. Now, Jesus refers to His disciples, His followers, from time to time as sheep. We are His sheep. He is our shepherd, which is good. It's fine. But just because we're sheep doesn't mean we have to be sheeple. Now, the Urban Dictionary defines sheeple as people unable to think for themselves who follow blindly and never ask discerning questions. It's bad to be a sheeple (laughs) because sheeple could get eaten by the wolf. And so today, as we continue in our sermon series, if you're new to us, if you're new to us, We've been in a sermon series entitled, Obey Everything. Of course, taken from Jesus' great commission. We're disciples not of men; We are disciples of Jesus. And part of what that means, the lion's share, is that we obey His commands. So we're looking through the Gospel of Matthew and we're looking at the commands of Jesus to understand them, to embrace them, and make sure we're in obedience. So the command that we want to look at today is the command to beware of false prophets. More relevant than you might think. I'm going to break this down into four headings this morning. Heading number one is we take personal responsibility for this. It's our personal responsibility. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets. You can identify them. This is something you can do, something I can do. And we are responsible to do that. Our church might help us, a preacher might help us, a pastor might help us, the elders. But the buck stops with us. It is our personal responsibility. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.10 that he speaks of those who perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. We ought to love the truth in order to screen out and filter out that which is false. And John also warns us to not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit, but he says you must test them. Okay, so there was a politician who was holding a fundraiser, and as he was speaking, he realized there was a Texan there who was from the opposite party. So he suddenly began to diss the Texan. He was using an exaggerated southern drawl. He was speaking very slowly. Texan picked up on this. And while the congressman was talking, he kept swatting at the flies that were circling his head. And finally the Texan said, y'all having a problem with them circle flies? And the congressman said, yeah, I didn't realize that's what they were called. And the Texan said, Yeah, that's what we call them over on the ranch because they're, circ- they're always circling around the, the rear end of the horses. And uh, the congressman said, Oh, and he rambled on a little longer. And then he said, Well, wait a minute. Are, are you suggesting that I am a horse's rear end? And the Texan said, No, sir, absolutely not. I have too much respect for Congress and the Constitution. I, I would never suggest that. The congressman said, Good. And he talked on a little longer. But after about a minute, the Texan said, Hard to fool those circle flies, though. Now, we want to be like the circle fly in the sense that we are hard to fool. Gullibility is not a virtue, it's not a spiritual gift. Jesus said we're to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So, we take this responsibility seriously. We're talking about beware. All right, heading number two how to beware. Beware by defining the prophets, beware of false prophets. Who is it that we're talking about? What is it that we're talking about? There's kind of two options here. Option number one would be a prophet, like a capital P prophet. This would be someone who had the gift of prophecy, for instance, maybe who is receiving divine revelation from God and passing that on to other people. So Moses would be a good example of this kind of a prophet. In the Old Testament, Moses was the greatest prophet. He received revelation from God. He goes up on Mount Sinai. He receives the law. He passes it on to the people. What he spoke and wrote taught is in our Bibles because he was a prophet, right? First five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy written by Moses. So you got that kind of a prophet. Beware. And so maybe he's talking about false prophets in that sense. I don't think so. I think this is a more general application of prophet. Maybe we might say prophet with a a lowercase p. As someone who speaks forth a word for God. Just someone who's teaching, in other words. And the reason I think that, a couple of reasons. First of all, until John the Baptist, there had not been a prophet in Jerusalem or the land of Israel for 450 years. And they knew it until you get to John the Baptist and Jesus at that time. They were really the only two capital P prophets. So it wouldn't have been that relevant of a teaching to Jesus' audience at that time. Remember, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, in addition to that, throughout... Now, let's keep it in the context. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been contrasting His true teaching... With the false teaching of the leadership of that day, primarily the scribes and the Pharisees. And I think that's who the reference is to. For instance, and this was true throughout his ministry, later in, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 through 3, Jesus says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. So Even though they're not prophets, capital P, these teachers, these authorities, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit in the seat of Moses. They have that degree of authority. So Jesus is equating them in that sense. The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 2.1, There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now notice the Apostle here, Peter, conflates prophets and teachers. So, it's not illegitimate. It's not unbiblical to to do so. So, I think as far as who we're talking about, we want to identify what we mean by prophet. This is really applicable to just about anybody in a teaching position. Be applicable to preachers today. Be applicable to elder pastors today. Sunday school teachers. Certainly within the kingdom of God. Maybe even leaders in general outside the kingdom. But for sure in the kingdom of God, that's the way I want to apply it this morning. We want to beware, we want to be careful about the teachers, the preachers, the elders that we listen to and who are teaching us, all right? So, man, we're already through the first two points, we might get done early today, all right? Beware, four bewares, how to beware, take personal responsibility, understand who we're talking about. Thirdly, beware by spotting the wolf. We're going to beware by spotting the wolf. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Now, <clears throat> recently, the satirical publication Babylon B suggested that you can tell whether or not your preacher is true and authentic by their hairstyle. So let me give you four examples. First, there is the Osteen. Light and fluffy, this hairstyle is the perfect complement for your preacher's wishy-washy theology. Usually paired with a creepy, impossibly white smile, the Osteen is a sign you might be attending a heretical church. Consider repenting. Okay, that's the Osteen. Number two, the King James crew cut. This is the only haircut for the man of God who preaches from the authorized 1611 King James Version Bible. Sissified, skinny jeans-wearing, girly preachers need not apply. This preacher follows the old paths, and he's proud of it. A preacher with this haircut is likely to be a member of the NRA and drive a pickup with a shotgun rack in the rear window. Three, the angry German monk. If your preacher has this haircut, he's likely to drink a few too many beers and then go nail a bunch of complaints to the door of a nearby Catholic church. He might accidentally start a religious and political revolution, so keep a close eye on him. Who's that a nod to? Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer. And then fourthly and finally, the shiny dome of holiness. This preacher is most likely very well educated as years of exams and thesis papers have robbed him of his hair. His shiny scalp reflects the glory of God and the stage lights onto everyone present, best paired with a solid beard and maybe some glasses. All right, I don't think I resemble any of those, but the closest is probably the shiny dome of holiness. But All kidding aside, so how are we going to identify the wolf? We want to spot the wolf. Uh, getting the verse back up before us, beware false prophets. They come disguised as harmless sheep, they're really vicious wolves. You can identify them a, by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. That last statement there, by the way they act is not actually in uh, the Scripture. That is added. I'm using the New Living Translation right there, and they added that. Jesus just says you can identify them by their fruit. Now, the New Living Translators have added that because their interpretation is what Jesus means by their fruit is the way they act. And the reason I'm using that is because I happen to agree with their interpretation. I think Jesus is saying, You can identify them by their fruit, and I think that fruit is the way they act. So if we're right that Jesus was referring primarily to the scribes and the Pharisees, then He has identified the way they act. Throughout this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we're toward the end of chapter 7, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks now. And throughout His sermon, He has contrasted His true teaching with their false teaching, and He has pointed out the kinds of things they do, the ways they act. Now let me give you just a little summary from the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees were guilty of holding others in contempt, of lust evident by leering at women, the degradation of women via divorce, deception using weasel words, revenge, hatred, greed, judgmentalism, and virtue signaling via public and only public, praying fasting, and giving. Now that's just in the Sermon on the Mount. In addition, throughout Jesus' ministry, He's dealing with these false prophets and calling them out. Let me give you some example from His Sermon in Matthew chapter 23. Dealing again with the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, They don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. And everything they do is for show. He continues in verse 13. They shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. They're full of greed and self-indulgence inside with hearts filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hey, that's a lot of fruit. You know, that's, this is why Jesus says you can't identify them. It, it would be fairly evident if you're dealing with a wolf like that. Even if at work, think if you had a boss at work who displayed these kinds of fruit, who held others in contempt, had a wandering eye, degraded women or men as the case may be, was deceitful, vengeful, hateful, greedy, judgmental, and on top of it all, self-righteously virtue signaled all the time it wouldn't take long for you to understand what kind of a leader you were dealing with even in the secular world. Contrast that ministry style with the ministry style of Jesus. The Pharisees didn't love God and they didn't love people. Jesus loved God and He loved people. His ministry style, He was gentle and compassionate and loving. And it broke His heart to see the leaders that the people had at that time. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, When Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep. Without a shepherd. Really worse than sheep without a shepherd. They were sheep with, a, with wolves for shepherds. Contrast this ministry style with the ministry style of the Apostle Paul. He describes it in 2 Corinthians 6, 6. He says, We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. Okay. So we're going to take this personal responsibility. We're dealing with teachers, pastors, preachers. We're going to spot the wolf by the way they act and conduct themselves in their ministry. Final, Fourth and final way, how do we beware? How do we beware? By holding ourselves apart from them. The word beware, beware of false prophets, capitalized beware, in the original language, normally it means to hold close or to hold tight. Hold closer to hold tight. But when it's paired with a little Greek preposition, A-P-O, Apo, away, it means not to hold tight to, but to hold away from. Beware literally means hold away from. Jesus said, hold yourself away from them. Now, what does he mean by that? And what are we to do? Well, one thing that we can do is just not align ourselves under that kind of a teacher, Right? We have a lot of freedom of choice. We don't, we don't have to go to a church that's got a wolf or a preacher or a wolf, elder pastors or, or wolves. We can just go and listen to an authentic, true teacher. Just listen to me and you'll be fine. Uh, but we had, so we do We've got a church on every corner and we can go wherever we want to. They didn't necessarily have that much freedom. Jesus' audience is small villages. There's usually one synagogue in town. And if they had... Uh, a corrupt leadership or a wolf-like leadership and the Pharisees and the scribes, which often it was, they didn't have a lot of choice. So they had to hold themselves apart in a different way. That was their only community. So how do we do that and what does that mean? I'll tell you what I think. And I'll, I'll throw some scriptures in here in just a sec. I think primarily what Jesus is saying is don't let them get to you. Don't let them corrupt you don't let them influence you to the point that you become like them remember the legend of the werewolf so you got a werewolf and if you get bit by a werewolf what happens next full moon oh right you're the werewolf and so what jesus is saying here i think is don't get bit by these wolves and become like them matthew 23 15 he says, you Pharisees cross land and sea to make one convert. And then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you are. He said, don't let that happen to you. Matthew 16, 6, watch out. Jesus warned his disciples, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Like Yeast and dough works itself in. Don't let them get to you and, and work their hypocrisy and judgmentalism into you. Matthew 23.3, practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. The Pharisees, you could categorize their falseness or their wolfishness under two categories. Number one, hypocrisy. And number two, legalism. Okay, hypocrisy, pretending to be things that they weren't. Legalism is following the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. Always looking for loopholes, giving outward compliance, but inward being totally full rebellion. Now let me make two observations and then two suggestions. Observation number one, personally I believe that almost all Christian leaders struggle with the wolf. I don't mean in the sense of some other false teacher, I mean the wolf inside. I know I do. It's a struggle not to pose and to pretend to be better than you are. It's a struggle not to work for the approval of men, as John the Gospel says, rather than the approval of God. Of course, there's always struggle with temptation. You survey any group of preachers and ask, do you feel equipped? Do you feel adequate for your work? And they're almost to a person who's going to say, not really. I think elders struggle with that and teachers struggle with that. That's observation number one. And observation number two is I don't think it's just Christian leaders. I think all of us struggle with the wolf. We all struggle with this tendency toward hypocrisy. And we want to hide and we want to pose and we want to and pretend. And so if you agree with that, and that being the case... I have two suggestions. Suggestion number one is don't hide. We ought not hide our struggle. We ought not hide our weakness. Everybody has at least one besetting sin that they struggle with day in and day out. There are always temptations, there's always wounds. And part of how the Pharisees became Pharisees and became wolves was they had pretended for so long that they were righteous. And without sin, they began to believe their own publicity. And they developed a huge blind spot. They simply weren't self-aware. In John nine thirty-nine, Jesus says, I entered this world to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they can see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard Him and they asked, Are you saying we're blind? Jesus said, yes, yes. He said, if you would admit that you were blind, I could help you. But because you claim you can see, I can't help you. Uh, Thornton Wilder has a play that's based on John chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. That's the account of the Pool of Siloam, where the handicap would come and Whenever the water stirred, the legend was that an angel had stirred the water, the first one into the water could be healed. And in Wilder's play, there's a doctor, a physician, who's at the Pool of Siloam. He's waiting. And he sees the water stir, and he heads for the pool because this physician suffers from depression. And when he gets to the edge, an angel holds him back. The angel holds him back, and this exchange takes place. The angel commands, draw back, physician, this moment is not for you. Healing is not for you. The physician argues, surely, O Prince, you're not deceived by my apparent wholeness. And he points out the terrible burden of his depression. And the angel assures him he knows of his affliction. And then he says, without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very remorse that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. The angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched, blundering children on earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, only the wounded soldiers can serve. Draw back. Another man enters the pool and he is healed and he rejoices. But then he turns to the physician And he begs him to come to his home and he says, This, my son is lost in dark thoughts. I do not understand him, and only you have ever lifted his mood. My daughter, since her child has died, sits in the shadow. She will not listen to us, but she will listen to you. Ironically, it's not by hiding that we relate to people or help other people, it's by showing our wounds. Our scars, even even if they're not healed, even if they're still open wounds, admitting to our struggles and our great hurts and temptations. From time to time, someone will draw me aside and say, Steve, I'm going to tell you my story. And they tell me their story. And their pain and their wound and their scars. and I always come away thinking, what a blessing. Thank you. That's something I can relate to. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Right? So once we, now that we've settled that, we can all stop pretending. Well, my other suggestion, I have two suggestions. One is don't pretend and don't hide. Just let some people know your story at the appropriate time. My other suggestion, I'm going to mostly say for next Sunday, and because it's a secret. But having said that, it's a secret. I've given you a little clue as to what it is. You can survey the Sermon on the Mount for the word secret, and you'll be pointed to part of what I'm going to be talking about. But it's worthy of a sermon in and of itself. So tell, the, tell your story. Beware the wolf. Don't get bit. This is our responsibility. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, our good shepherd. We thank you that we are not disciples of men. And ultimately, everybody lets us down, but we don't have to become disillusioned by that. We are the disciples of Jesus. We are the sheep, and he is our shepherd. So we will always follow him as other people help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.